Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their Lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. And the Lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. The Marlins continue to remake their roster, and a pair of top starters are showing signs of struggling. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-brews uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball 15 for Wednesday, September 2nd. I'm Al Melkier, and I am here with Derek Van Riper. And DVR, much, much slower news day than, obviously, uh, <laughs> deadline day. Uh, but we do have some things to get to here, so let's get right to them. Uh, Marlins continuing to steal the headlines. Um, of course, they were active at the trading deadline. And now they've got uh, two infielders uh, that are going to be joining them in the very near future. Uh, Jazz Chisholm's getting called up. And we also talked about on the Tuesday show that uh, Isan Diaz was trying to work it out to come back and get reinstated after opting out. That agreement has been reached, so Diaz will also join the infield mix. And according to MLB.com, both Chisholm and Diaz will be competing for the second base spot. So first of all, do you think this is this means bye-bye Birdie? Um, any fantasy value left for John Birdie? He can play enough other spots where I think in at least deep mixed leagues he's still a hold, but it is frustrating that he won't have a spot to call his own. At least it doesn't appear that he will with both Diaz and Chisholm around. I think it's interesting that they're both left-handed hitters, so I don't know how Diaz and Chisholm can really share a spot. I think they're both likely to end up on the bench against the lefty, which keeps Birdie at second base maybe for those matchups. Uh, so I'm a little bit confused. I, I think the tricky thing with Jazz Chisholm is that there's a lot of swing and miss in his game. We have seen patience at the plate in 2019 at the double-A level. We saw power, we saw speed, but a lot of swing and miss in the approach, and you just wonder for someone who's been at the alternate training site all the way into September, how long will it take them to adjust to big league pitching, especially when they're seeing it for the first time? So I think in both cases, you know, with Diaz having been away and with Chisholm debuting, they're not necessarily guys that I'm going to be aggressively pursuing in redraft leagues, even though I think there's definitely keeper and dynasty league appeal with Chisholm, and I'm not quite ready to give up on Isan Diaz in the long term either. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I like them both for the long term, as do you. Um, I did, and I mentioned this on the Tuesday show, I did put a bid in for Diaz in my NL only league, um, and I did get him. So then I had to think about, all right, now do I go, you know, for the insurance and try to put a bid in on Chisholm? And I, I decided against it. So hopefully it works out for Diaz, but that just felt like one spot too many to clog up with the Marlins second base situation. And in some other Marlins news um, on uh, Tuesday night, Eliezer Hernandez was lifted with a sore lat. An injury, by the way, he shares with Cody Bellinger. Bellinger didn't even play on Tuesday night uh, with that same injury, so both are currently day-to-day. Uh, some better news for the Twins. They got two players back on Tuesday. We'll get a third uh, impact player back on Wednesday, Byron Buxton. Making his return from the injured list, Michael Pineda making his return from a drug suspension. Pineda started, went six innings, just gave up two runs and got 16 swings and misses on 81 pitches. That's a heck of a return for Michael Pineda. Um, So we've talked about him a little bit recently on a couple of previous episodes, but uh, he's still out there. So what sorts of leagues should people be looking for him in? I think pretty much all mixed leagues. I think if you get down to maybe like an eight team or possibly a 10 teamer, he's not necessarily stuck on the roster for the rest of this season, but he's at least a streaming candidate in shallow mixed leagues as well. I mean, I think with the Twins, we've talked a lot about how they manage their pitching really well. And with Pineda, the only real skills flaw is the long ball. He's pretty good at racking up a decent number of strikeouts. He doesn't issue a lot of walks. So I think he can be an above average contributor in the whip category, at least an average contributor in the strikeouts category. And if you're in a first-come, first-serve league, the next start on the schedule for Pineda comes on Sunday against the Tigers, even though they just exploded for double digits against the Brewers on Tuesday night. That's still an offense that I try to stream against as much as I can because there's a lot of swing and miss in that Tigers lineup. Yep, I did that. I started Josh Lindblom and uh, maybe good process, but definitely a bad outcome unfortunately yep i'm feeling that one too (laughs) yeah so but yeah that notwithstanding uh i would certainly feel good about starting pineda for that uh that sunday game uh back to the dodgers so we talked about bellinger with his uh sore lat justin turner was placed on the injured list with a hamstring injury and also yandy diaz the rays placed him on their injured list also with a hamstring injury they called up nate lowe uh, so I know that uh, I've seen people grumbling on Twitter about Lowe not having been called up sooner, but he's there now. So, um, how much playing time do you expect and where does he belong in, uh, in fantasy rosters? I think it's cool that there's been grumbling on Twitter about Nate Lowe not getting called up sooner. And I haven't been the one doing it. Um, you know, ordinarily I would expect that sort of thing to come from my Twitter account, but I have been <laughs> too busy and too on vacation to tweet for the better part of the last week. Uh, So I I think the problem is still that they seem to prefer G-Man Choi. And in the lineup on Tuesday night, G-Man Choi let off. He was 0 for 3 with a strikeout. I mean, this is one of those situations where I chased Nate Lowe last year. I thought based on where they were hitting him in the heart of their order, he was a bigger part of the plan last season than he turned out to be. And now I'm wondering if it's going to work in reverse where it doesn't look like he's a big part of the plan and they're quietly going to sneak him in and make that change because Choi simply hasn't been that effective. He's been kind of a below average hitter throughout this season. Yeah, well, and that's been part of the complaint as well that, uh, you know, it's understandable if you've got somebody blocking you that's uh, tearing it up at the plate. But yeah, that just hasn't been the case with Choi. So uh, 
you know, Lowe has some, certainly some, he has a lot of ceiling and some appeal, I would think, at least in some uh, deeper mixed leagues. And uh, on the Tuesday show, Michael Beller and I, we talked about, well, we talked about a lot of trades, uh, but one of the ones that we discussed was the Reds getting Archie Bradley. Uh, both Archie Bradley and Rysel Iglesias pitched on Tuesday night, but uh, not exactly a safe situation. It was an absolute blowout uh, at the hand of the St. Louis Cardinals, 16-2. to um, we'll talk a little bit about more about that game and why that was such a blowout in a little bit. But uh, so both of them pitched. But um, the bigger news here is that David Bell uh, has said that he is just uh, planning on keeping Rysel Iglesias as the Reds' closer. Uh, he hasn't exactly been, you know, a shutdown closer. Um, do you see any reason to maybe if you've got Bradley, hang on to him or? pick him up if uh, he's out there in a league as um, you know a possible replacement or uh, you take David Bell at his word and just uh, consider it's going to be status quo. I think we have to take him at his word for now. I mean, the good thing with Bradley is that he's got the walk rate down after it jumped up a year ago. He's kind of back in line with his previous three-year norms. Uh, so that's an encouraging sign. But even with that, the ratios haven't been great. I don't think Archie Bradley brings enough to justify holding on to him in mixed leagues so long as Bell insists that Rysel Iglesias is the closer. We just don't have the luxury of waiting out these situations given that we're in the final month now. So I think Archie Bradley is trending more toward being a drop this weekend, you know, barring a change in philosophy, barring a, a meltdown or two from Iglesias between now and Sunday. All right. Well, uh, you know, we'll, uh, I will certainly keep uh, tabs on that as a uh, Bradley owner in one of my leagues. Uh, we've got some starter performances from Tuesday to take a look at. We will do just that right after this word from one of our sponsors. All right, DVR. Well, I, you know, I did say that we were going to talk about some starter performances, but I, I want to kind of preface that discussion with a discussion of uh, process and, and statistics, um, you know, with the small samples. And again, we're, you know, just a little over a month into the season. So I'm not necessarily trusting some of the, the baseline statistics. But one thing that I've really been leaning on, um, both to try to find pitchers on waivers who might be sneakily good or, you know, maybe to see pitchers who are due for a downturn, is to look at the contact rate on end zone pitches against them. And uh, one pitcher who's struggled with that in a couple of recent starts leading up to Tuesday was Sonny Gray. And it didn't really hurt him in those two previous starts, but it was not a good uh, performance. Um, he got uh, the Reds off to a bad start in that uh, shellacking by St. Louis. Gave up six runs, only got two outs before being removed for Lucas Sims. And this is the third start in a row where his Average uh, velocity, his average fastball velocity was a little bit down from where it had been before uh, in the 92 to 93 range of the last few starts. So do, we, do you look at it as just one bad start to write off or do you look at it as, you know, three starts with some potentially concerning peripherals? I think it's a little bit more the latter. I mean, he's pitched well overall this season to not make it through the first inning and be as bad as Sonny Gray was on Tuesday and to come out of it with an ERA still in the low threes says a lot about the overall body of work. But I think I have a question for you just looking at zone contact rates in a small sample. Like How much is enough for you in that metric to say this is meaningful, this is something that I do want to act on? 
Well, I'm looking for extremes. So anything that's in the 90s, even the low 90s is kind of concerning. Uh, and anything that's lower 80s to 70s, that's really good. So, um, you know, I've picked up some relievers in some different leagues because of uh, relievers who had a, a rate in the 70s. And that just to me speaks really well that they're just not getting hit as much uh, on pitches where hitters can typically uh, do do more damage than on on the out of zone pitches. So, uh, yeah, that's, you know, with the small samples, I'm looking for pitchers more at the extremes uh, and figuring that, that that's probably telling us something. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. And that's the way I try to use a lot of metrics in a limited amount of games. The, the whole season is a limited amount of games. We're talking <laughs> about you know, a dozen starts for starters who have had opportunities to start from the beginning of the season through the end. We're talking about maybe 20 relief innings at the high end for a lot of relievers this year. I mean, it's going to be chaos, I think, trying to prepare for 2021 drafts and uh, even within this season, trying to choose what is enough to maybe take someone out of a lineup or to reconsider them in a matchup or to possibly cut them is really difficult to do. Yeah, uh, it, no doubt it's a tough call. Um, another pitcher who pitched on Tuesday that you know maybe is going to be the next Sonny Gray in terms of having a, a start that's bad that seems to come out of nowhere is Patrick Corbin. So seemingly a good line uh, against the Phillies, um, five innings, just giving up two runs, but also only two strikeouts. So over his last four starts combined, 16 strikeouts in 22 and a third innings. Definitely not a Corbin-like ratio there. And then the three starts coming into this uh, game at Philadelphia, a really high contact rate on end zone pitches, 96%. Like I said, 91-92 is a little troubling. 96 is really pretty bad. Uh, So... Again, how do we treat this? Because the actual results for Corbin haven't really been that bad. I think you look at the underlying numbers with velocity and you see a two mile per hour drop in fastball velo. The slider is down almost three ticks. That's clearly an important pitch for Corbin as well. Uh, you see the swing strike rate is quite a bit lower than it's been uh, in each of the last two seasons. He's down at 10.8% uh, for the season that was entering Tuesday night, and he's been at 14% and above each of the last two seasons. So there's more going on here. I I think that it kind of explains why he's getting hit in the zone at this elevated rate. Uh, And I think in the case of Corbin, I'm even more concerned because this problem has been extreme for him all season long. I think among qualified starters, only Dakota Hudson has had a higher zone contact percentage so far this season and it's by 0.1%, so it's not by wow. a lot. I mean, that, that's a category. You just don't want to lead the league in that category as a pitcher. Uh, the other names on the top of that leaderboard, Dakota Hudson, Corbin, Alex Cobb, Kyle Gibson, Kyle Freeland, Danny Duffy. Not really a group of pitchers overall that fantasy owners have a lot of confidence in. Yeah, well, if I could pick one pitcher out of that group that I would maybe give a little bit benefit of the doubt to, it's actually Kyle Freeland because he's been exceptional in terms of inducing soft contact. So he's allowing the contact, but the quality of it, it's really sort of the opposite of Corbin. He's allowed a lot of hard contact. Uh, Freeland, not as much. And just one other pitcher here to touch upon, Robbie Ray in his uh, Toronto debut as the follower, um, bulk reliever, I suppose, uh, after Julian Merriweather, um, three and a third innings, two runs on four hits. Just one of those two runs was earned, four strikeouts, and maybe the most encouraging uh, sign at all, just one walk for Robbie Ray. Yeah, I mean, I think with Robbie Ray, it, it, you always want to see that skills growth, but 
there's such a long track record of him not having control. It would take, I think, a run of at least the final month of the season for me to even really open my mind to the possibility that something has significantly changed in his approach. I, I hope for his sake he can pull it off, but you look back at that 2017 season with the 289 ERA and the 115 whip, uh, those were outliers. And even in that season, he had a 10.7% walk rate. And he's only gone up from there throughout the last three seasons. So hopefully Toronto can find a way to make it work. But um, I'm not changing my tune with Ray just yet. All right. And three hitters just to make note of. Um, Marcelo Zuna and Alex Dickerson, both with three homer games on Tuesday night. And um, Robinson Cano just keeps on hitting. couple more hits um, against... The uh, Baltimore Orioles on Tuesday night. He's got his batting average up to 380 now. One of those hits was a home run, his seventh on the season. And he's still pretty widely available in ESPN and Yahoo leagues. Uh, I mean, what's it going to take? Uh, I mean, shouldn't he be on pretty much everywhere? One would think, especially when you consider where Cano hits in that lineup for the Mets too, right? Like he's right in the heart of the order. So I thought he was interesting. Had some injuries back in spring training 1.0. That steered me away. I was less excited about him in the ramp up to the start of the season in July. And I feel like the process was good, but the follow through was bad in this case for me. Well, uh, he's, he's out there in a lot of leagues. So, um, you know, if, if you missed him, then uh, you can, you can maybe get him now and uh, definitely worthwhile. And we'll wrap up here with the featured read um, this one, a book excerpt uh, from a book that was, that just came out on Tuesday um, co-authored by the athletics own Kavitha A. Davidson and also Jessica Luther. Uh, so it's an excerpt from Loving Sports When They Don't Love You Back, Dilemmas of the Modern Fan, and great news, DVR. We are going to have um, Kavitha and Je- Jessica on the show this Friday. So really looking forward to that conversation. And that's going to be it for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're listening to this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. Thursday. 